How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? Trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers, I would but they never don't even be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most local political voice against immigrants. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the next episode of the church needs therapy now, I just looked at the date. This is coming out on the day of Monday, December 7th, which means we have three more weeks left until the end of the year. We have this whole week and then three more weeks until 2020 is up. Let's just stop and think about that for a second. I remember when COVID first hit, it was in March. And I remember a friend of mine telling me, you know, in the summer, it's going to get a little bit better. And then they're predicting a second wave. So in September, October, we're going to go back to more lockdowns. And I remember hearing that being like, there's no way that's going to happen. And now we're going towards the edge of 2020. And we're looking ahead to 2021, not knowing what this is all going to be. So even before we jump into this episode, for those of you listening, just know, I'm going to give you a little friendly reminder, you made it through 2020. You made it through the year that became the most memes about this being collectively the worst year, the hardest year, the most painful year, a year filled with so much tragedy. And yet here you are and you made it, or at least you made it until there's three weeks left. How many times were you at the edge of yourself feeling like you're not going to make it through? You can't make it past another month of this. You can't get through that loss you dealt with. You can't get over that thing that fell apart. We all, it's one of the powerful things about this whole experience is even though this pandemic has hit all of us differently. It has hit all of us and everybody's having to let go. Everybody's having to transcend. Everybody's having to relinquish. Everybody's having to grieve over something. So if nobody else has said that to you, you made it. You're stronger than you think. And there is going to be more life ahead. But for now, let's get into this chapter, or excuse me, actually, I have been writing, so my mind's probably just thinking about that. Let's get into this episode right now. This is an episode. I'm going to do this episode myself. I have an interview next week. I'll do one more myself and hopefully one interview at the end of the year to prepare for 2021. So this episode is about darkness, Advent, spiritual bypassing, how the church is uncomfortable with pain and heavy emotions, and about how Kevin McAllister got over his fears. 
So let's start with this short reading from Psalm 32. I called to you for help and you healed me. So the psalmist is talking about his relationship with the divine. And he says, I called to you for help and you healed me. People have been thinking about and crying out for healing for thousands of years. Now let's start with this idea of a crack house church. That was a quick turn right there. The great Irish philosopher and theologian Peter Rollins talks about how too many churches function like a crack house. He says, you know, someone is dealing with pain and goes out and drinks and gets high, but the next day you have a come down, so you have to go out and do it again. And then you come down and then you keep doing it again and again and again. He goes, when somebody's doing that, they're not actually working through the issues and being healed. What they're doing is they're going out as ways to cope with, to manage, and to live their life in the current painful situation they are in. So he's saying these things we do, these are coping mechanisms and these are management techniques for our egos and for the pain, the unprocessed things that we are carrying. So when Rollins talks about a crack house church, what he's saying is that the church can be a civil version or a socially acceptable version of getting drunk or high on a Saturday night. See, if we're singing and praying and forgetting about all of our problems, if we're singing and hearing sermons and feeling good in the moment, but through us feeling good in those moments, we never actually take the time to face the parts of us that need to be healed, then those church services are doing the same thing for us as drinking or getting high or any other thing is doing for somebody else. So why he says the church can become a crack house where a person comes to feel good temporarily, to forget about their problems, only to return on Monday to the exact same situation. Are we being transformed through our brokenness or are we just addicted to things that make us feel good temporarily? Is the church for some, for some people just a socially acceptable version of going out and partying because it's not actually helping you work through the pain that you are carrying, the issues that you need to overcome, the darkness that is within you? Maybe it's just getting you high enough each week to keep you where you are and actually getting in the way of the further transformation that you need. Are we being, that's the question, are we being transformed through the brokenness by going into the darkness or are are people in the church just addicted to things that make them feel good temporarily? Now, here's what I'm saying for this episode when we say the church needs therapy before we think, before we see how Advent calls us beyond some conventional things. I would argue that the church in large part, is very uncomfortable with darkness. It's very uncomfortable with emotional heaviness. It's very uncomfortable with the shadow side of our life. It's very uncomfortable with the deep wounds we carry and the path of death and resurrection that helps us go through it. 
Let me give you an example of how I've seen this over the years. Christine and I, my wife Christine and I were at a church service. It's crazy to say, but 15 years ago when we were 21, we both just turned 36. So we had moved back to Los Angeles after going to college in Hawaii. And at at that point, we were attending a very charismatic, a very Pentecostal, a very Pentecostal church, a very theologically conservative church at the time. And it was the kind of big mega church, the kind of Pentecostal, you know, highly emotional sort of charismania kind of vibe. And it was the kind of church where they did altar calls every single Sunday and every single Thursday night when they did a whole nother church service, right? It was their Thursday night thing. And I remember when I first went there, I was like, this is insane. They have three to 400 people coming to the altar every single week. Like, I've never seen anything like this. The spirit is alive here. And then after about a month or two, I was like, wait, it's the same three or 400 people who come down to the front and receive Jesus every single week, right? So it was a little different than what I first thought. But I remember one time, I may have even went to the front. I, I was up there. I must have went down. Maybe Or maybe I was watching from the stands. It doesn't matter. But I remember the pastor, you know, giving his altar call speech and people are in the front and now he's, you know, getting revved up. Like, <laughs> like kind of getting everybody in the mood, right? Getting all pumped up. And I remember seeing the people around me just, and thinking, man, the, everyone's so vulnerable. And everyone's so desperate for change. And that's not a judgment. We're all like that to some degree, especially in different seasons of our life. But I'm like, these are highly impressionable people. These are people who are searching for hope, right? And so I remember when the pastor was giving his spiel and his speech, he starts talking about how God can heal you of your anxiety. He's like, you know how many people here have anxiety? And a bunch of people raise their hands. And he said, right now, in Jesus' name, you are healed of your anxiety. It is gone. You are no longer going to be anxious in the name of Jesus. And I was 21 years old, standing right there, watching him do that, looking at the people around me, thinking to myself, that is so irresponsible. And that is so dangerous. And you are inevitably going to cause so much damage to so many people here. Because I think about this young woman next to me. In that moment, she believes what this pastor is saying. She leaves on this spiritual high thinking, God has freed me from my anxiety. I am no longer going to be anxious. Then I think to myself, what happens two days later when she gets anxious again? What happens three days later when she gets anxious again? What happens four days later when that low-level anxiety starts to creep back in and she's dealing with a chronic form of anxiety? What is she going to think? Is she going to think, is this my fault? Do I not have the faith? Did I make a mistake? Am I somehow quote-unquote sinning so God took that away from me or whatever people think there is? I'm like, this is going to confuse a lot of people. And not just that. I thought to myself, that's not how transformation works. You're treating 
the real journey of depth and transformation like it's magic. You think you can wave your pastoral hand as if it's a wand and say your anxiety, the thing that 20 years of genetic predispositioning, family systems, cultural conditioning, ex trauma, etc. 20 years of what this created, and you wave your hand once and tell her anxiety's gone in the name of Jesus. I'm like, that's not how this works. And I think that's really dangerous. And I think that's a very ignorant and childish way of looking at spirituality and depth and transformation. He didn't know what to do with the darkness. He thought it was magic. And you can just wave a magic wand and say Jesus and get rid of it. But that's just not how transformation works. And it has nothing to do with not having faith in God. It has everything to do with knowing the depth and the struggle of a real journey of change. I'll tell you another story. Because here's what I'm saying. The church is uncomfortable with darkness. Another story, a friend of mine who was in Bible college, this is, again, probably, 15, probably around that same season of life 15 years ago, he was in Hawaii. I was in Los Angeles and he called me up and he's like, Kev, can I just talk to you about something? And he's like, I can't talk to the people here at my Bible college. He's like, cause whenever you talk to people here about struggle and pain, he says, all they do is just start quoting Bible verses and essentially trying to convince you why you shouldn't feel pain, why you shouldn't be in the dark at all and why you should feel happy for Jesus. He's like, and I just can't take it. So he calls me and he shares this long story about some traumatic stuff that he went through when he was younger, right? Heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. And as through frustration and anger, he, in the end, he says, you know what, Kevin? He's like, why doesn't God just deal with this already? Why doesn't God just deal with this already? And sort of just immediately without even blinking, I was like, you know what, man? I said, why don't you deal with this and then invite God into that space within you? See, what was happening there was my friend, like the pastor on stage, wanted to be healed from the pain in the darkness without going into the darkness and feeling that pain for himself. He wanted to go around it, jump over it, or somehow sneak past the pain and have God magically heal it without actually going in and facing and feeling it for himself. And that's just not how transformation works. Right? The church doesn't know what to do with darkness all the time. You see so much, especially of that level of highly emotional Christianity, it's so much, that culture is so much about victory and triumph and winning and success. You ever recognize that? Every story has a bow on the end. It's always victory. There's always a spin that's something, it's something good. And whenever I see a person who has to put a bow on everything, spin everything for the good, or try to somehow tie everything up with really tight ends, I see a person or a community that's unable to embrace, accept, and confront darkness and ambiguity and process. You know, songs like, and these are great songs, or, or if people like them, they are what they are. But songs like, I want to see a victory or songs about triumph, songs about this. And you're right. In Christ, there is victory, but you only are going to experience the highest level of quote unquote victory 
if you start to be honest and grapple with the loss and the death and the dark parts of reality. I remember being at that same church I mentioned before at 21, singing this old Hillsong song they were singing. Like, you have a $100,000 sound system, right? This massive venue. And they're singing this song that goes like this. Shout out to God with the voice of triumph. Shout out to God with the voice of praise. Right? Drums just boom, pounding. You can feel it in your body. It's nuts. I remember singing that song and getting a visual in my head where I was like charging at a lion or a bear. And I was like, I could tackle a bear right now. I'm so pumped up. But that moment didn't actually heal or transform anything within me. It just got me pumped up. But I guess it's easier to get pumped up than it is to actually grow up, isn't it? Yeah, it's easier to get fired up than it is to slowly wake up to the presence of the spirit within you each day that leads you in and through your darkness to the other side. And I want to say one more thing about churches struggling with darkness. Too many churches are experts at what is called spiritual bypassing. You ever heard that term, spiritual bypassing? The psychotherapist John Wellwood defined spiritual bypassing as, quote, spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal, emotional, unfinished business. To shore up a, sh a shaky sense of self. That's a hard to say. Shore up a shaky sense of self. Or to belittle basic needs, feelings, and developmental tasks. So what is spiritual bypassing? It's spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep deep, unfinished emotional business. Churches are experts at spiritual bypassing. Glib answers, tight phrases, cliches that are uttered over and over, extreme borderline, sometimes delusional, false sense of confidence in our ability to just never feel pain or darkness in our life, right? And whenever there's spiritual bypassing, especially from church leadership, it does so much damage to people. It invalidates the legitimate fear, anxiety, and worry that so many people carry. So not only are they scared, anxious, and worried, now they feel guilt and shame for feeling those things because the leader told them that those who are in Christ aren't supposed to feel their th those things because of the victory. Are you with me? on that. So often the people, you pay attention. So often the people who are the quickest to say, well, God's in control or everything happens for a reason or Jesus is on the throne or just quote a Bible verse quickly. The people who seem overly confident and immediately just throw these tight little phrases at you are usually people who use these cliches glibly to quickly bypass and skip over the real pain, hurt, and struggle of your life because they always skip over the real pain, hurt, and struggle of their own life. The church so often doesn't know what to do with darkness, doesn't know how to embrace darkness, doesn't know how to go into the darkness. Right? We have to remember inspiration is not the same as deep healing. Information is not the same as healing. Accomplishments are not the same as healing. Appearances of success are not the same as healing. 
There's too many people in our churches who are very inspired, informed, driven, and successful who are still making a mess of their lives because they have not been deeply healed because they do not know how to enter into the darkness. That's why the brilliant pastor, theologian, mystic Henry Nouwen says, the problem with so much religious expressions is that they give answers before people are even asking questions and give people conclusions without a process. We can't jump over or go around or sidestep the darkness, the pain, and the wounds. We have to go in and through them. See, in the spiritual journey, there is no substitute for real healing. And real healing only happens when we enter into the dark spaces. So here's where Advent and Kevin McAllister come in. You know, one of my favorite, actually I would say my favorite psalm in the entire Bible is Psalm 88. And you know, besides myself, I have never heard anybody ever preach this psalm before in a church. Let me read you a few lines from Psalm 88. Starts off by saying, Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead. Do you think this guy might be going through some stuff here? Whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. It's, it just goes on. Do you show wonders to the dead? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? This person is writing from a place of emotional and social oblivion. And then when you read the whole thing, which I encourage you to do, Psalm 88, you, here's the final verse on Psalm 88. This is, how the, this is how the poem, this is how the psalm ends. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. The last line of the psalm is darkness is my closest friend. How honest can we be with God? How honest and real can we be with ourselves? How real can we be about the current situation that we're in? Because according to Psalm 88, it doesn't seem like the Bible has a problem dealing and facing and feeling the reality of darkness, but it sure seems like a lot of church leaders and a lot of churches do. See, Advent, this season leading up to Christmas, is a time to befriend the darkness to sit with the discomfort, to hold that uncomfortable space, and to be honest about where we are and what we want. You know, between the Old Testament and the Gospels and the New Testament, there was 500 years of silence. 500 years where the Jewish people believed God was no longer speaking to the prophets, where there was nothing being written, where they were waiting on the promises of a coming Messiah. 500 years of darkness. 500 years of not knowing. 500 years of suffering. If you deal with five seconds of lagging on Netflix, you get pissed, don't you? We're talking about 500 years of silence. See, Advent is a groaning. It's a longing. It's a crying out for liberation. Advent is like a lament. 
See, Advent is being the slave in Egypt, sitting with the experience of exile. Advent is about looking for God and hoping for God in a situation where God's promises are outstanding and have not been fulfilled. That's why Christmas is meaningless without Advent, right? We only cry out for the light when we are aware of the depths of the dark. Advent is the dark before the dawn, the light shut off before the candle comes and saves us. See, the writer W.B. Yeats says, it takes more courage to examine the dark corners of your own soul than it does for a soldier to fight on a battlefield. The church has a hard time going in and through the darkness. And it seems like so often we want to sing our way around it. We want to crank up the volume on the worship. We want to be even more certain about what we believe. And so much of that is a way to avoid feeling the uncomfortable emotions of darkness. If you want to truly heal, you first have to face whatever pain is in you. And after you face the pain and face the hurt and face the past, you then have to take into you and feel it. That's why it's so hard. And in those moments, everything in you wants to run, avoid and hide. But the facing, the feeling and the crying out to God to heal you in that moment is the only way that deep stuff ever gets healed. Faith is not a way to go around the pain. Faith is about entrusting your life and heart to God as you go through the pain and out the other side towards healing. You know, one of the most famous stories with Jesus walking on water in Matthew 22, right? There's so much written about it. But you know, one of the, one of the details that people don't always focus on is if you read the story, the disciples, when they saw Jesus, thought he was a ghost, Right, it says it in the text, right? They were they were in fear and they thought he was a ghost, which is interesting. Because in that moment, the very thing they feared the most was actually there to liberate them. The very thing they were the most afraid of was the very thing that had the power to save them. See, sometimes what feels like your greatest threat might actually be the place you discover your greatest hope. Sometimes those things that haunt you and that you hide from are actually invitations into the deepest forms of healing. Like the disciples seeing Jesus and thinking he was a ghost. We see things within the shadow of our own life and think that it's going to destroy us, but it is actually facing, confronting, befriending, and taking it into us that we're actually going to be liberated from it. Now, and like I promised, I'm going to end with a Kevin McAllister story. By the way, I just saw Macaulay Culkin, you know, the, the kid at the time who played Kevin McAllister, which by the way, that movie came out in 1990. And I remember seeing it in a theater. I was six years old. It was 30 years ago right now. I remember going with my brothers and my dad to see it. How crazy is that? But I just saw recently Macaulay Culkin post a photo, like a couple photos of him on Twitter. And he just wrote this, if you want to feel old, I'm 40 now. <laughs> it's just, you see that little kid? I'm 40 now just to freak you out a little. But do you remember in that first movie, he, Kevin, uh, the character Kevin, 
had a huge fear of the basement. Remember the first scene when he goes down there, the basement takes it's the basement is almost like personified as a monster as if it's the furnace mouth is like opening up and making noise. And Kevin McAllister was terrified of that basement, like completely unwilling to go down there and face it because he was so scared of what it might do to him. And one of the last scenes before he goes home and defends his house against Marv and Harry, I think that's their names. He was in the church and his neighbor who his older brother Buzz told him was like a serial killer comes and sits by him and he's freaked out again, facing his fears and discovering they're not actually going to destroy him. But when Kevin was talking to the old man, he told him the story of the basement of how he was really scared and how eventually he started to go down there. And Kevin said this, then I made myself go down there to do some laundry and found out it's not so bad. All the time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn the lights on, it's no big deal. If you, the thing you've been worrying about within you, the thing you avoid, the thing you don't want to think about, the thing you don't want to feel, the thing you push into the corners of your soul, the thing you're not ready to confront. I think Kevin McAllister going into the basement shows us a little bit about what that deep journey of transformation is like. He says, all of the time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn the lights on, it's no big deal. Healthy religion is never a way of escaping from your uncomfortable emotions. It is always a way of embracing these emotions as the spirit draws you to the other side of them. Deep spirituality never bypasses our wounds and pain. It takes us by the hand, walks us into everything that hurts, and stays with us as we are carried through by God. This is why Richard Rohr says, the life that reality offers is not death avoided, but always death transformed. The real work of faith, religion, and spirituality is always about the faith that there is always resurrection after death, never the avoidance of death itself. So now, during this time of Advent, right, with a church that has, seems to have issues with darkness, for people of faith in general and for religious leaders specifically, we always need to be listening to our life deeply enough and paying attention to our environment closely enough to be able to perceive whether or not in the midst of all of the religious activity we are engaged in, we have to see whether or not we are being led deeper into ourselves, into the darkness and closer to the light of God that carries us through or further away from the path of honesty and intimacy and befriending the darkness where the real journey of transformation begins.